been traveling. We have very little sleep. But nothing will stop us because when that base crashes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Bombfell, Gamefly, and Brooklinen. They bring the show to you, the show all about games in their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host, Slash nemesis. Christian Spicer. Christian, are you ready for some football? No, I think I'm done with the sport. The The way that they've kind of written off donating uh, and doing a actual informed CTE study and the fact that they're kind of pushing it under the rug and player safety and stuff like that. I love it, but I don't think I can continue to support it as people are injuring themselves. We don't fully understand the repercussions. Sorry for the long-winded but honest answer. <laughs> that uh, doesn't fit in that song that the pretty lady sings at the beginning of the show, but, you know. You mean the Verizon ad? Which song are we talking about? <laughs> um, all right. Well, we had you were traveling this week, right? Yeah, well, I was in Austin. I did uh, some few sold-out shows, part of Out of Bounds Festival, thanks to DLC listeners that came out. It was awesome. Lots and lots of fun, and I got to see some family while I was there as well. I wasn't playing as many video games as you were, but uh, we're back, and we're, I'm kind of awake. So Yeah, yeah. I, I was in Seattle for PAX West. I got to meet a bunch of DLC fans there as well. Thanks to everybody that came out and saw our live We Have Concerns that we did uh, last night. Got off a plane this morning, got on a plane this morning at like 5 a.m. But, man, it was a great time and tons of stuff to talk about from PAX. In fact, my daily video game show, Newest, Latest, Best, is going to have – I conducted, I don't know, a dozen or more interviews with really interesting creators – my favorite thing about PAX are the small independent games that really get a spotlight at that show. And if you want to hear all of those interviews, all of the cool stuff, I did an episode of Newest, Latest, Best yesterday that just highlighted my best of the best of the show. Please check out that show. It's short. It's daily. It's a cool update on uh, everything that's going on in the game world on a day-to-day basis. You can find it on iTunes and Google Play. It's called Newest, Latest, Best. Just search for that, and you'll find it on those platforms or go to anchor.fm slash NLB. But we have a great show for you here. I'll try to sum up as much of it as I can here as well. And we have an awesome guest, Oh, one of our favorite guests, in fact, uh, you know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week we are excited because once again, DLC stands for Director Who Loves Cats, because Senior Associate Art Director and Video Games Writer for Entertainment Weekly and Self-Professed Cat Lover, our friend Mr. Aaron Morales is back with us. Hey, Aaron. Hey, guys. I'm so excited to be here. I've got my, both of my cats sitting next to me, and we are ready to go. <laughs> awesome. I'm glad you brought them. They will they will add to the show, I, I have no doubt. All right, let's get right into it because we got news to talk about. So let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. 
Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Cool folks there hanging out, talking about the show and video games in general. Highly recommend you give it a visit. Aaron, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Uh, I'm going to go with the Nintendo Switch Nindies showcase. Uh, they showed um, almost 20 games, I think. Um, a lot, you know, some big ones like the last Shovel Knight uh, expansion, uh, super, a new Super Meat Boy game. And uh, for me, the big, the exciting one was the new entry in the No More Heroes franchise, uh, Travis Strikes Again. Yeah, Suda51's crazy, insane assassin game is getting a sequel. Uh, and, you know, you talk about the the Nintendo Direct in general. I feel like Nintendo is kind of schooling everybody at this point in how to announce things. It, it's, it was just meat. No bread, no lettuce, no pickles, just meat. It was a guy standing there and introing games like he was shooting them out of a machine gun. They were coming so fast and so furious. I mean, it was a 20-minute, lean, mean get right to the point, tell you all about these great games that are coming out. And we'll talk about the specific games, like the ones you brought up, but my my overall takeaway is that this device really is fulfilling the thing we all wanted the Vita to be, which is this portable place where you can play all of this great independent game content. Nintendo seems to really be doubling down on that and embracing that idea. And kudos to them. I mean, so many of these games got me so excited about what is possible on this device and in gaming in general. Do you agree, Aaron? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, a year ago, I don't think we would have expected that they would have this many indies coming and you know, a lot of them are coming this year and then early into next year. And some of these games, I, you know, they're brand new, uh, never heard of them. And it, I think it's great to see them, uh, some of them at least, uh, launching, uh, early or first on switch. So it's, 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 yeah. it's quite a coup for Nintendo, I think. I agree. Yeah, there are a lot of early or first, as you said, a lot of exclusives on on Switch, which is pretty cool. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of those uh, specific titles, like No More Heroes. Were you a fan of the first No More Heroes? You know, I've actually never played either of the No No More Heroes games. I don't know why, because they they seem like something that would be up my alley. But uh, I, I think that the direction that this one's going is super interesting. With Grasshopper working with a bunch of indie developers to have like these kind of different takes on uh, indie games in this game. It's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. And the, the concept is that Travis gets sucked in and, and his nemesis uh, gets sucked into a console that forces them to play through, I don't know, six or eight different games in order to escape. So there's like games within a game. It's a really wild – I mean – Leave it to Suda51 to just make something insane as usual. But um, yeah, it looks really interesting. The art style looks really interesting. And there hasn't been a No More Heroes game in, what, like six, seven years? So it's it's pretty cool. Um, Christian, how about you? What, do you? what is your take on the Nindies announcement? Did you get a chance to watch this? Yeah, I did. I think it was. I think it was a good announcement. I still have like a few questions, you know, that we'll hopefully see answered over the next couple of months or whatever. I feel like the hard part is they need to do a they need to surface these games well after they come out and throw them throw some promotion behind them and hopefully they'll do that because it's one thing to announce a game and be like and it's coming out and then their store's not great um fine. there's problems with like 
all storefronts have it, right? Steam is just as hard to find things and to surface things as well. But I'd love to see Nintendo, like you said, they figured out the direct and the announcement aspect. And if they could figure out a great way to showcase these games when they came out, I think the best person at it or best person, well, corporations are people. (laughs) The best person at it was Xbox Live Arcade back in the day. And now they've fallen off and they don't do a great job at it anymore either. Um, well, I think they were good at it simply because it was just starting and there wasn't <laughs> probably, games. you know, like the new game coming out was, you know, <laughs> there was the 15th game on our system. You know, that's what it would be like. Well, they did a good summer of arcade, right? And like Castle yeah. Crashers. Like we all remember those marquee indies that came out back in the day. And and now I guess maybe it is because there are so many, but it's harder for them to kind of break through in that same way. So maybe Nintendo will be the platform that does it. But there's a lot of really interesting games here. And then some like No More Heroes, I'm still not sure what that game will be other than like you're in these mini games. So I'm like, am I just straight up playing um, a level of Shovel Knight with like a, a Suda splash of paint on it? Or something, you know, I'm really curious to see that. And then I want to see how, uh, what interested me the most was Meat Boy Returns or whatever they're calling it. Uh, Super Forever. Forever. Yeah. Because it's their take on that, not endless runner, endless running. And for a game that is as precise as Meat Boy to always be moving forward, like I'm getting nervous just talking about it right, <laughs> right now. Cause I would be the guy that would sit at a thing and be like, okay, okay. Okay, and then I die, but then I would sit there and try to like map it out in my head and just know that my poor Meat Boy is just constantly flying through space towards his death. <laughs> is it an endless runner? I, I wasn't clear on that. I know the forever indicates this concept that seems insane to me, which is the more times you play a level, the harder the level gets somehow. I don't know how, uh, the, how, how much harder a level can get, but it says you can literally play the same levels forever because the levels actually get harder and – uh, also, there will be daily challenges, so you could theoretically play the game forever. Yeah, every everything else I've read about it about it being a you know you you do not control your momentum. Um, but I maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but I, I'm ninety nine percent sure that's the case with the game that your guy is always moving forward, and then you can dash and you know right. the, the abilities maybe that's you have while he's harder as you move forward faster every time. Oh my god! Yeah, oh. <laughs> like Tetris, like Tetris horizontal. Um, as far as their ability to surface the games. I think that's a valid concern. Um, I mean, it's clear that there's so much amazing stuff coming out. I feel like we're in this golden age of video games where, you know, any one of these nindies that, you know, there's so many of them that are just like, wow, that's brilliant. This floor kids, which is like this breakdancing simulator, uh, looks amazing. A Wolver blade, which is basically golden ax. It looks cool. Uh, I mean, there's so many really neat, interesting games here. But I will say at PAX, I saw a lot of emphasis from Nintendo on Nindies. They had basically their entire uh, floor of the convention center. It wasn't a main floor. It was a, one of the side floors. I, it's not a very clear description of how it works. But if you've ever been to the Seattle Convention Center, you know that there are like weird floors that are only half floors. Anyway, one of those – is uh was was well, let's just, talk about the games and more about the uh, the floor the arrangement of the floor space <laughs> well i'm <laughs> saying that nintendo had their own space uh, that was no, really just for them ra- rather than just a portion of a, a larger show floor that was called the nindies arcade and you could go in there and they had m- almost all these games up and going um to to walk up and try out and all on switches and i thought that was cool i mean it, it showed i think a commitment on on their part to not just give it lip service, but actually, you know, put some dollars into making sure people know about these games because they were separate and different 
had a different identity from the main Nintendo booth, which had Mario Odyssey and all their... Never heard of it. Sounds like an indie. (laughs) Anyway, I think it's cool. And there's a lot of really interesting games on this list that that are coming out. And I think that playing these type of games portably is going to be my preferred way to do it. I mean, I'm so excited about Kentucky Route Zero because I never played Kentucky Route Zero. And now I'm going to be able to play through all of the chapters on a portable system. It's cool. Yeah. And I think for some of them too, you kind of, you need to play them because sometimes you don't quite understand, like a lot of what's beautiful about independent games is that they're doing something unique and it's not an 80 hour experience per se, but they have this really cool thing that they're doing, whether it's braid or like you said, floor kids. Like I watched the longer presentation of the two kind of creators behind that game talking through it. And I was like, I kind of need to play this to see if it's, you know, smooth like Parappa was old school or if it's broken like Parappa is remastered. <laughs> like how it feels is very important for a lot of these games. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Consonant Q in the chat room says, I'm excited about the indies, but I miss Virtual Console. I could get a lot of indies on other consoles, but I can't get Nintendo Virtual Console on anything but Nintendo. Eh, fair enough. Uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? Uh, Microsoft is is really doing this mixed reality thing. Um I had talked about before the rumors and rumblings I had heard between their partnership with Oculus. It started with just a controller and then they were trying to get a headset in and, you know, they made a really big push for it. And it looks like that is all but done, right? Completely done, I should say. And they announced their their own headset kind of open source spec thing. What was that? Last year already? It seems like... uh Got it. Probably was a year ago, if not longer. And now they're coming. They have a date, October seventeenth. Soon, yeah. yeah. And it's 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 the mixed reality headsets, which it's it's interesting. So let me back up and get the information out. October seventeenth, uh, prices start at two ninety nine. You have things like Acer HP's is more expensive because it has motion controllers. Dell and Lenovo have headsets coming out as well. There's our 349. So it's kind of this open spec where you can do your own thing, but they've also announced that it's compatible with Steam VR. And so it seems like it's it, it's an augmented reality or mixed reality headset, but it seems like it also works with everything you're doing with VR and it's at a cheaper price point and you can kind of pick and choose, you know, which headset you want. Is it worth as a more high fidelity screen worth an extra hundred bucks to you? If so, you can buy this one. If not, you can get this one that can do all the same things like this approach, the quote unquote PC or Android phone approach to VR headsets or <laughs> mixed reality headsets, I don't, whatever we call these things, headsets is fascinating to me. And I know that there are companies that did this before with kind of an open source VR headset as well, but Microsoft throwing their weight behind it while they don't always have the best track record with supporting um, tech or other companies' devices. <laughs> um, I really hope this catches on because I think this is the way that takes a lot of this stuff more mainstream when you can get exactly what you want for the price you want to pay. Well, the biggest deal for me from this announcement is that these all are what they call the inside-out tracking, which means you don't need any external sensors to con- – to, um, to, to track the headset or the motion controllers. So whereas, you know, the Vive requires you to put those light boxes up uh, and uh, Oculus has those sort of desk sensors, these are completely self-contained. You still have to tether to a PC, but they're completely self-contained in the sense that you don't have to set up a room to make them work. I think that already is a 
huge barrier lifted from people getting into these things. Cause it's like, Oh man, I got to have a room dedicated to this. I got to set up a thing. I got to turn on a, eh, it's got to make sure it's all no, it's now I think, you know, it's not all of the barriers are lifted. I know there, there's still problems that you are always bringing up, but, um, that one I think is a huge step forward. I saw these on display at PAX. They had a few of them and the controllers are really interesting. They light up, um, as means of tracking and they have, I don't know, eight or 10 or 15, uh, lights on them that all, all around the controller. So it looks like you're holding, um, a balled up, uh, group of like Christmas tree lights in your hand. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty wild. Um, Aaron, what do you think of this? Are you, do you think this is a step forward or do you think this muddles the market for VR? No, I think it's interesting. And like, like you said, you know, it's a year later and we've already lost having to place sensors. So, you know, that's great. And I can't, well, it's like, well, then I'm also like, well, let's wait another year and see, maybe we can have it completely untethered altogether. Um, but I do think it's cool. I mean, they, they're pretty slick looking too, you know, and, and like you said, just having so many different options so you can find, you know, the right price point. And, you know, like, like you said, if, if, if you don't mind like a PS4, uh, PSVR level one, then I'm sure you can get it quite a bit cheaper than some of the more, you know, Vive prices that they're looking at. Yeah. I think the biggest, also the biggest, um, feature that Christian, you brought up that I think needs to be underscored also is this thing we're seeing where a lot of these, these, at least on the PC side, a lot of these, um, platforms are, are interoperable, right? So you can basically play all of the VR content that's available already. And that's huge. I think that is, that is going to be something that allows people to jump into this market and, and have more stuff to do and, and not feel like they're making the wrong decision right away because, the walled garden thing is always more problematic. Do I get a PS4? Or do I get an Xbox? Do, you know, there it's hard that when there are exclusives and the fact that steam VR is this agnostic, you know, platform agnostic thing, I think, especially with these headsets and there's so many of them, it's like, which one do I do? No, now it becomes more like buying a PC. Like I know it's all going to work. Which one is the one I want based on my price point and power, you know, requirements. I think that's, I think that's a smart move rather than a confusing move for PC gamers, at least. Yeah, I agree. And I think it, I, while I understand exclusivity for, you know, Oculus Studios funded games and things like that, yes, the more awesome content you have, the easier it is to say, yes, you should buy one. And that way you just get to answer that question. Should I jump in? Yes. And then you don't need to worry about, well, yes, but do you already have a PlayStation 4? Then you should consider it. And you just can cut that whole part of the conversation off and just say, yes, get one, go, go, go. <laughs> right. Well, the problematic side of this, though, I mean, we can't can't give Microsoft all the plaudits because uh, they are doing some things that I find a little worrisome and, and questionable. Um, and that is they have the option with all of these to run them on lower spec machines at 60 frames per second instead of 90. So when... VR was first launched, everyone said 90 is the minimum that we should ever do to eliminate as much nausea and as much disorientation of the end user as possible. And I don't know, having not tried this mode, the 60 frames mode, I don't know if this is problematic or if there's sort of frame inter- interpollination that's happening that that 
something on the tech side that they're doing to smooth things out to prevent that stuff or if the tech has improved to the point where it's not as much of an issue anymore. But just reading that bullet point that, hey, you can play these on a much wider range of PCs, laptops and much you know weaker systems because you can switch to a 60 frames per second mode. I went, rut row. That's a, you know, it's a potentially problematic way to get people to hate VR is like, oh, this makes me want to puke and hate myself. Um, so I hope that that is not the case, <laughs> but I haven't tried it myself. And I'm, I'm surprised also there's still no mention of uh, VR coming to Xbox One, especially with the X coming. You'd think that that would have been a good time to announce that. Man, you are so right. I, it baffles me. It is such an easy win. It's one side of the company not knowing what the other side is doing or, or you know, if they know what they're doing, it just doesn't seem to be synergistic in the right sort of way. Like you have these things they're It's all running a form of windows. It seems like it's a no brainer to say, Hey, we support this stuff and yeah, we'll put VR stuff in our shop. Like how hard is that? It doesn't seem to be difficult. And I don't understand why they're not that clearly, clearly the X, if even, if not the original Xbox one, but the X has the horsepower to do it. So why not? It, it makes no sense to me. And it feels like it needs something exciting for the launch. You know, we're just like a month away, two months away. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I've, you know, they've said like the pre-orders have been doing really well and stuff, but, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm having a hard time like drumming up excitement for, for the box when there's not much to do with it right now. Yeah. Well, uh, some people in the chat room are talking about how they, they think that VR is dead. I don't know if they're being, uh, sarcastic or, or honest, but, um, I, I did read a statistic last week that, um, the, the lab, which is the, uh, Vive demo thing that Valve put together that, you know, people got for free with, it's free for anybody, but it, you know, it was kind of the launch thing for the Vive and everybody who got a Vive downloaded it. It was like a one-to-one ratio thing. Cause it was the coolest thing you could get on the Vive when it first launched last week. 100,000 new downloads of the lab. So what is that? Who, who are those people? Some, somebody's just getting into VR right now. So I don't know. I, th- I found that to be uh, encouraging. How many times is that you, Jeff? I mean, I just spam it. I have my computer. You know how some people... Yeah, <laughs> you DDoS just, the download or whatever. <laughs> how some people use their computer to like, uh, you know, map the genome when they're not using it. Uh, <laughs> I use it to spam lab downloads. With a PlayStation 3, you can fold at home and help us cure cancer, <laughs> right. or you can download VR you can, experiences. You can buff, buff download numbers for <laughs> the ability to bring it up on your podcast obliquely. Anyway, uh, some good news. I wanted to use my story of the week to highlight uh, a, a wonderful thing. Um, I don't think we mentioned this last week because I think it happened right after we recorded, but I wanted to bring it up. Um, you know that the devastation in Houston is still uh, still a huge problem, and it, it seems like it might even get worse at this point. That the the season is not over. Harvey is not done wrecking havoc, um, and the video game community is actually doing something positive to help people in that area. Bungie is offering incentives to gamers to buy a pin that will earn them a special emblem in Destiny Two when it launches next week. Uh, and all of the benefit, all of the um, proceeds from that pin that's sold on the Bungie store go directly to a uh, charity called Direct Relief. 
and all of those funds in direct relief are earmarked for aid in Houston. I just want to take a moment and applaud that and reiterate, if, if you haven't heard about this, uh, maybe you might want to look into getting that pin. It gets you something cool in Destiny 2 if you're going to be playing that game. But in and of itself, it's also a pretty you know positive thing to do, and it can actually help people in their time of need. So I think this is a cool thing. It's, I'm very happy that Bungie is doing this. They did it uh, before for uh, earthquake victims in Nepal and raised well over a million dollars. So um, it's a it's a powerful tool, and I'm glad to see them doing it. Yeah, and shout out to everyone that uh, used their Prime sub on my Twitch channel because I've matched that, so it's free for you if you had a, a Prime sub to give. doesn't cost you anything. And then I got to write a, a bigger check uh, to help out. And people that picked up my album and stuff, it's like, hey, you want some... It's like donations. I'm spending the money, and you can get a fun thing. And update, my mom's house is okay. And then my uncle's house also up to the door, up to the flashing on the door. And... uh they are dry now they're spending their time helping others so it's um it's not over as the story ends in the news for the rest of us is when the actual rebuilding begins but there's a lot of good people doing good work so find your chair oh also uh my patreon show altmm it's free last week and this week so use your disposable income to help others instead of supporting stupid podcasts i do Yeah, it's it's a it's a great thing when the community comes together to to help others, and it just reminds you that there is you know some good <laughs> that that can come from things. And I, I like the fact that it gives you an in-game um, emblem, you know, of the heart, so you can see who's a jerk and who doesn't care about other people. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, the other emblems though are pretty good though, so you can't just because you don't see it doesn't mean you know. Come on, come on. <laughs> yeah, am I am I going to pick my uh, emblem that shows that I care about human beings, or am I going to show the emblem that shows that I got fifty headshots? <laughs> <laughs> yeah none you're gonna pick the one that looks like a sick wolf dude Come on. <laughs> sick wolf why does the wolf have to be sick because it didn't wolf. survive the first destiny it was a it was a tough time oh it's a tough time um uh, i also want to mention uh, just because i think it's fun uh Catan got announced for vr Catan, uh, settlers of formerly known the artist formerly known as settlers of Catan. um they now is branded as purely Catan. Uh, this, uh, a bunch of PR people reached out to me and were super excited about this. I think this actually could be a cool thing. Um, Catan, of course, one of the most popular board games in the world, really one of those gateway games that I always recommend to people if they're interested in kind of getting into German or, you know, designer board games. Uh, Catan was one of the ones that brought me into the hobby and I think it's, it's still a classic. Interesting that they're going to try to do it in VR, uh, Having played uh, the Werewolf uh, Within, which or isn't that what it's called? Werewolf, Werewolf Within, Werewolf. Anyway, the One Night Ultimate Werewolf uh, VR game that um, that the same uh, group that did uh, Star Trek Bridge Commander put together. It's awesome and it works. And doing social and you know you negotiate in Catan and for trades and stuff could be cool. Could be cool. Is it going to be cool, Christian? Sure. Yeah, it's going to be I mean, cool. it's not how I would choose to play Catan. Um, well, okay. So, Aaron, let me ask you this. Uh-huh. Is there something to the idea of things that require your physical presence in a place in the modern era where we can't easily get to the physical location of our friends, being able to virtually be there in a more profound way than just staring at a screen? Is that a value to you? 
Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, most of my friends who I game with don't live in New York, so it's it's nice to kind of be able to play. I mean, just playing online is a nice in its own way as kind of like a voice chat, you know, like talking on the phone when you used to curl the cord around your finger and, you know, um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm not really sure what, what the difference is. You mean just like being engaged in VR in that way? Well, just sort of, I don't know if you've, you've tried uh, bridge crew. Oh no, or, I haven't, I haven't tried that. Mm-mm. Okay. So I think that from, I think what you, what you would, uh, what you would take away from that experience if you, if you give it a shot is, there is something to being able to read body language, you know, that there's, it's a fun, it's, it's inherently interesting and fun to relate to somebody and have not just their voice, but a, you know, a, a admittedly primitive form of, of body language, but a undoubtedly, uh, authentic human body language that you are able to read. It's not an, uh, a, 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 you know, canned animation or a, a emote. It is a human being doing that thing and it being mapped into the, into the game. There is something to that. And it, you feel much more connected to the people and you do feel like you're in the same physical location with them in a way that other types of gaming can't provide. Yeah. I could see that making you feel more engaged than just, you know, lying back on the couch, um, you know, and looking at yeah. your normal screen for sure. All right. Kadan VR. Uh, we have lots of games to talk about. I mean, it's going to be a jam-packed playlist. But first, I do want to thank our sponsor, Bombfell. Um, Bombfell is kind of a wish come true for me because uh, I don't know if you guys are like me, but I I hate shopping. I, I well, that's not true. I like shopping for certain things like electronics <laughs> or uh, Legos. <laughs> I found a Lego store near me and I was like, I could spend hours in here. But when it comes to clothes for myself, I am not that guy. I'm not a person that enjoys it. Even when, I mean, when my wife or somebody wants to give me a gift and like, Hey, I want to take you and get you a new outfit. I'm like, cool. Thank you. But it's going to, I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't, but guess what? Bombfell exists for that very problem because I do like to look good. I do like to ha- ha- be stylish and have good clothes. I just don't like to spend the time selecting that. And I don't have great taste. Let's be honest. I don't have the ability to know what's what's in style. But Bombfell provides that for you. They give you a personal stylist that you develop this relationship through email with. They select clothes for you. You can decide which of those clothes they select you like and which you don't, which you want to buy, which you don't. Um, All you have to do is you – I did this, by the way, uh, and I'm I'm really glad I did. I logged onto the website. I signed up. uh, I gave them all my measurements, and I filled out a little – a quick little questionnaire about the kinds of clothes that I like to wear. They give you little examples, and you go, yeah, that, no, not that. And then I get an email from my stylist, the stylist that's been assigned to me, introducing themselves and giving me some suggestions of what they think they I should get. And I wasn't sure if the clothes were going to fit right. I wasn't sure anything. All, you can send back, by the way, anything that doesn't fit right. But I was shocked when I got the clothes that they fit so well and they look so great. My wife was really complimentary about them. In fact... My little Bombfell outfit, I'm not even lying or exaggerating. It's what I wore to do my live 
panel at PAX because I loved it so much. I got these cool pants that I would never have bought for myself, but they looked awesome. My wife was like, those look great on you. And this cool, like, this cool, like button up short sleeve shirt that looked awesome, had a pattern on it. The stylist really knew what he was doing, really kind of got me and kind of took me out of my comfort zone too. It's awesome. So can I present a quick counterpoint? Please. So for me, they, the stylist sent me stuff like, hey, sure, we're going to send you. And I was like, oh, no, nope, nope, nope. I don't know how we messed up the first time, but none of this, none of this works. And I typed out an email, like, it's like reply if you don't like it. And I just said, hey, here's what I don't like about this stuff. Got an email back that same day and said, okay, thanks for the additional information. How about this stuff? And I was like, <laughs> now we're talking. And so like it were, there was the flexibility. It wasn't just like, here's this, we're sending it to you. If you don't like it, you can return it. Like I didn't even have to go through and it's free return. So it's not that big of a hassle, but I didn't even have to go through that. It was like, here's what we're going to send you. And I was like, nope, nope, nope. And they said, okay, let us try again. Yep. 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 Done and done. So it's easier than just like, I don't know what I'm going to get. Hope it works. Fingers crossed. And you're able to like interact with this person and build a relationship. And you keep the same one from, from time to time. So if you want to go back and do more, they remember what, you know, the things you didn't like and do you like, so you like create this evolving uh, understanding of your personal style. It's awesome. And the cool thing is we're going to give you $25 off your first purchase. So if you go to bombfell.com slash DLC, that's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L.com slash D-L-C, you get $25 off your first order. You can check it out. You can see what the process is like. It's really easy. Both Christian and I love it. Um, I'm really, really honestly very, very happy with my clothes. So check it out. Bombfell.com slash DLC bombfell. Open and clothes. Huh. <laughs> see what they did. Ooh, what you playing this week and tell us. Ooh, what you playing this week and tell us on the playlist. Oh man, a just a jam-packed playlist. Um I'm really excited to talk to you, Aaron, about Metroid Samus Returns, because I know that's on your playlist. Tell me about it. So I just want to preface this by saying that I just got a 4K TV this weekend, Saturday, and I spent all day hooking it up, and then I promptly turned it off and started playing more Metroid on my 3DS <laughs> <laughs> because oh, wow. it is by far the most the thing I want to play the most right now. Um, I think it's fantastic. Um, I'll be reviewing it. I think the review embargo is up September 12th, but you can actually – I think they're so confident in it that they're like, yeah, you can preview it. You can – put your previews up. You can talk about it. Um, it's a great Metroid game and that's all I've wanted for the longest time. And it's, I, I actually love that it's on 3ds because, you know, I had to find my charger and get it all ready to go. Cause you know, as soon as switch came out, I'm like, I eh, forget this old garbage, uh, <laughs> but um, it actually makes sense that it's on 3ds, not just because of the install base, but because the 3D is actually fantastic. I love how it looks. It just adds this like layer, like level of depth to it. And it feels like you're like looking in a little, um, like pin box or something. It's, it's, there's so much stuff going on. And I think the, the art style is actually great. You know, there's part of me that wishes we, it was pixel art, but, uh, I think the Indies kind of have that covered. And I think it's like really slick. Um, it's classic Metroid. Uh, everything feels good. You, and, and in fact, I think Samus feels like super empowered in this one. Like, I just feel like a total badass, you know, like just hunting Metroids and getting it done. Yeah. The visuals do look really impressive. Um, I know it's kind of like this, like what they call it 2.5 D where it's, it's, you know, 3d, uh, 
graphics, but done as a 2D game. Uh, and does it does it feel like does it feel like you know Super Metroid? It is that 2D side scrolling take, but does it feel more like that, or does it feel just from a like a control and um, you know weight and floatiness uh, aspect? Does it feel more like Prime, or what is it? Does it kind of have its own identity? What does it What does it feel like? It's definitely in the vein of uh, Super Metroid, which I replayed again uh, last year. But it's way tighter and more responsive and less floaty for sure. Like I feel firmly controlled. You know, I'm like jumping and then in the air, I'm turning into a morph ball and then catching the wall. You know, at the same time, and it's like effortless. Um, I think it's great. Yeah. And puzzles are are decent and lots yeah, of and, interesting you stuff. Know, people have been concerned because there is actually a scan button where you can kind of cheat and it'll show you, um, you know, there's some uh, blocks you might want to investigate over there. Uh, but it's completely optional. Like, you don't have to use it if you don't want to. And you can. it'll just be like classic Metroid where you just kind of bomb everything. <laughs> right. Man, it sounds so good. Christian, are you going to like... Are you going to grab this? Oh, yeah, of course. Come on. Yeah. Metroid 2 is one of my favorite Metroids, and this is an apparently an improvement on that. Um, I'm down. I like Metroid Fusion, too, which I know some people crap on. Um, I've enjoyed all of these Metroid games, and I've recently played Metroid 2. It's available on the Virtual Console on 3DS. I think it holds up. It's, I don't know. I've kind of been avoiding how this one is different to some extent. Like, I'm you know aware of some of the tweaks. But Metroid 2 I loved for, I think I've talked about it on this show a while ago. For how it's kind of one big room, uh, one big map, and how, like the twist that they did on the classic Metroid style before when that game came out. And I'm very, very excited to see it. And I think she has what, like a parry or like some other n- new counter move or something like that in this that makes the combat a little faster and a little more precise. And I've been hearing only great things. So yeah, I think it's what, it's the 15th that comes out and then Destiny this week and then that next week. And I don't yeah, know, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm 14 again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that parry that you mentioned is very cool because I think it makes you feel a little bit more actively engaged in the combat. So, you know, if someone rushes you, you're not just trying to run away. You can just, you know, snap it back Street Fighter style. Man, uh, I this I wasn't really sure I was even going to give this the time of day, honestly, because there's so many other things happening at this time of year uh, gaming wise. But, uh, man, hearing you talk in such high praise of it is tempting me seriously but i'm like you like i i'm not even sure where my 3ds is i know it's in a drawer somewhere but i haven't touched it in so long um i just find this it was on switch yeah you got to find it and you got to crank the 3d slider all the way up like absolutely necessary i i turn it off just to see what it looked like and i was it just is not the same christian are you gonna play it in 3d i feel like you're did you have a 2ds I have an old 2DS, but I have the new 3DS with like good 3D and good 3D tracking. So yeah, I'll have the I'll have the 3D turned up for it for sure. All right. Well, I'm I've always been a fan of the 3D. I was kind of sad when they seemed to be phasing it out, and I'm glad to hear that it's uh it it's good in this one because I dug it. I always like the I always like that effect. Um, let's uh let's do a little round robin style and go to Christian. You've been playing more Sonic Mania, sticking with the uh, 2D platformers. Uh, you've been playing more Sonic Mania. You're still in Lerve. I I really do. I so I you know was on the road as in Austin all last week, and so I brought my Switch with me, and it's so it's so great, right? Like, like uh, yes, the console has some problems. Chat online, a, a lot of problems. It has some problems, <laughs> but the games are just they're so fun. I was bouncing between that and Splatoon two, which I I didn't put on the outlines because I whatever. It's, I'm still doing the same thing. Sonic Mania. I'm not 
done with yet, or I haven't finished my first playthrough, I should say. Uh, I'm very close. That game, it is hard. It does not... Uh, it does not pull punches as you get into late game. And when you die, it's old school Sonic. You die and you start at the beginning of that um, zone or stage. So if you were on act two and you run out of, you know, and you die, you have to restart and you have to go back to act one and you have your three lives or whatever it is. And you got to run through the whole level and beat that first boss and then do the second and do the second boss. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't hold your hand. You don't get to a, a, a new boss and it, it doesn't go like now at this boss, here's how, you know, like highlight the thing. Like sometimes you're like, what am I? These little guys keep rushing at me. How am I? The Metal Sonic's way up there. I can't hit it up. And then you die and you're like, crap. <laughs> and then you play through the level again just to get back to where you were stuck. And uh, at times that can be very frustrating, but I really appreciate how it's how it's true to source and true to that genre of game instead of checkpointing me right there back at that boss. So you kind of just, you know, do a boss run in the main game i like the way that it teaches you you know forces you to go back because one it's not that much time loss it's not like a level in sonic mania takes an hour or whatever and two the more stuck you get on a boss let me not generalize the more stuck i got on a boss the more i got to see of the levels leading up to it and do my own little speed runs because that's the closest i'll ever get to you know a game's done quick is me dying on the stupid uh, underwater robotnik <laughs> like 10 times and then speed running the level to get back to him before i could finally take him down Game is done agonizingly slow. <laughs> well, boss is not beaten. <laughs> Levels cleared quickly. It's just, a, it's not, what's, it's a NBLC. It's a, a whole acronym. You can find yeah, us online. Just Google it. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Uh, there's about a billion D things I could talk about from PAX. I played a chronic poop ton of, of games. Can I, can I pick one to start with? Yeah. You do Amazing Eternals first, please. That's what I was. I was hoping. I know you have been very curious about this game, as have I. I almost and, paid for it, and it's going to be free. That's how much I was interested in it. Oh wow! Um, so I got a behind closed doors, hands on thing, and I got to talk to the developer, and I came away really impressed, really impressed with the Amazing Eternals. Because if you guys remember, this was just announced. Uh, I don't know, last week, week before. And at that time, I kind of snarkily referred to it as like somebody looked at Blizzard and went, hey, they're making a lot of money in that Overwatch, and they're also making a lot of money in that Hearthstone. What if we do both of those games at the same time? Because that's kind of what The Amazing Eternals is on the face of it is it's a hero shooter and also a collectible trading card, digital uh, trading card game. And it's like, well, those are two weird tastes that maybe taste good together. I don't know. It seems like a weird, it seems like a, a forced thing, but seeing it talking to the developer, I really get the philosophy here, which is there are a bunch of heroes like you find in overwatch. The meat of the game is taking those heroes into combat scenarios, multiplayer combat scenarios like in overwatch and fighting. But what will make your hero unique is your deck that you also bring into the game. And the specifics of how that all works is what is so fascinating to me because they've really figured out, I think, something unique and interesting. So what happens is you open up card packs and you constitute your deck. The, the cards themselves are specific to a hero. So you can't apply a card that works for the big tree monster guy to the card that works for the uh, floating uh, sea princess character. They are, they are unique to those characters. But 
within those characters, there are more cards than you can equip. So you have to make some decisions as to what you want to equip. And each of the cards gives you basically an ability and you can burn that ability by using that card. But then, and you have three cards uh, face up as active abilities at any given time. So when you use one of the cards, it gets discarded and the next card in your deck comes up. But there's no randomness. You determine the order of your deck before the match. So not only are you building a deck for your character, you're also deciding the order you want it to go in. But because you have three cards uh, that come up at any given time, you can sort of have a little bit of leeway. So for example, there's like a – let's say there's a big powerful attack that you get. Like the they show the tree guy had these these big uh, – his tur- hands turn into these big um, little shop of horrors mouths and he, and he shoots stuff from them. So let's say that's a really powerful attack. Well, that comes with a draw time that is basically like a cooldown, but it's a cooldown before you use it. So it's a cooldown – for it to get into your face-up pile. So let's say you put that second, okay? So you've got that in your deck. The first three cards come up. You've got two other cards and that one. Or let's say it's your fourth card. That's more. That's a better example. So you've got three cards in your deck. You use one of the cards, and then that one is queued up to go, but it's got a whole full minute of cooldown before you can use it. It takes a minute to draw into your deck. So now you've only got two active uh, cards that you can use, But some of the cards only have like 10-second draw times. They're probably less powerful, but they get into your hand quicker. So let's say you want to put that very powerful one-minute long draw card in your hand early or high in your deck and get it in there early. You don't necessarily want to use it early in the match, but you can keep it queued up and ready so you don't have to wait that minute for it to get in your deck and just use the other two cards and open those slots up and fill in as they go, you know, more cards from your deck go in those two slots and just hold down one of your three slots with this very powerful card and wait. Or you can choose the other philosophy, which is bury it deep in your deck, wait for it to be this cool late game, very powerful move and have more options for longer periods of time during the match because you now have three slots so it's a really strategic, interesting take on how all of that works together in the middle of what is a big, rambunctious action, you know, multiplayer shooter. And there are other layers that are interesting as well. You know, the theme of this thing is that it's like Jumanji, right? You find this old board game that's collecting dust on the shelf in the back of the closet from the 70s and you pull it down. It's like, oh, did my parents play this board game in the 70s? And it's got all these 70s pulp characters in it and everything. And when you start to play it, you and your friends get sucked into it and you're, you know, inside the board game. So – It's got this board game motif throughout. So when you log on, the main menu is this big giant board and you actually have a token that you move around the board based on accomplishing certain things. And moving to new spaces on the board gives you bonuses, gives you um, decks of cards, packs to open and stuff, all kinds of things. And you can move around fairly quickly early on in the on the board you do those things fast and you they say that you actually get packs very quickly in this game they're not trying to hide like the most powerful cards behind a paywall or anything like that um but then also like on that main screen there is this you know view of the the table with this board on it 
and it's got a bag of chips on one side, right? And it's not just there to create ambiance of this old theme. The chips are like this daily consumable, and you can eat the chips to give yourself bonuses, but then the bag of chips will expire, and you have to wait to the next day to get a new bag of chips. And if you open up a certain thing and get a can of soda, that can of soda appears next to the chips. It's kind of a fun theming and a fun embrace of that board game aesthetic that I really like. So I'm really impressed with The Amazing Eternals. Question. Mm -hmm. All of the components sound interesting, but how does it feel together? Like UI stuff, how cluttered is your screen? Like I'm picturing myself in an Overwatch or even, you know, a PUBG firefight or something, or even Halo, right? Whatever firefight you want to pick. And then also looking at what card I have drawn. Is it like kind of peeking down in Halo and seeing if your grenade has refilled, like your cooldown on that? Or like, how am I doing this stuff in game and in match? And how well does it surface all of the information? And can I see what you have, like what your cards are as I go in to rush the base or something like that? Like, oh, no, 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 pull back, pull back. He's got the piranha plants ready to go. Right. Or is that hidden from me? I, I think that's hidden from you in the same way that you don't know if uh, somebody has earned their ultimate in, in an Overwatch match, you know, your opponent. You don't know that they've got their ult queued up and ready to attack you. But from a UI standpoint, most of the time your cards, those three cards that are queued up and ready to go, aren't displayed. You push a button and then the three cards come up and they're also all mapped to a specific key binding. So it's more like your three Overwatch abilities, but those abilities change during the course of a match, right? So it's, and the way that they've talked about it is that what they're finding in the beta and their goal with the game is that it's not like playing Hearthstone or playing Magic the Gathering or playing most of those games where it's like, oh, what did I draw? What's, what's the next card? You determined the order. So you don't even have to question what, you know, if you've played enough and you, you you're getting you get as you get more comfortable with the deck that you built, you know that once I use this, the next card that comes up is that. So it's not like you're like looking at the UI going, oh, what card did I draw? What what power do I have now? You you determined it. So he said that people get this very uh, solid connection to their deck, and they know, okay, I use that, I use that, and now the next one that comes up is that. But also, when you push a button, it displays all three of those cards and shows you the key binding that's associated with them. But most of the time that you play, you don't see that on the screen at all. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. It's um, cause I could see myself like as you get into a late game, something or whatever, and you, you have some powers that you like, but you really know that you got this big thing as your fifth card in the deck. So it's like, well, crap, I'm just going to burn these. Cause I get, I got to get that fifth card queued up and then like timing on when you play those, you know, and like you said, overwatch, like if you're, power and other games have certainly done this in the chat and people have talked about how it's kind of like paladins and, and certainly other games have toyed with this idea and it's not this isn't brand new but i do like that added layer of strategy to running and shooting and figuring out when you're going to use your quote-unquote rocket launcher and fun ways to play with that dynamic going back to you know even halo ones where it was like hey the rocket's going to spawn on top of this bridge uh and hang them high every 15 seconds good luck <laughs> right. and how that changes a, a game's dynamic yeah, there's no there's no power ups on the board in, or on the in the field on in this game, and it, it really seems like a, a fascinating twist on a very familiar concept. And the thing that they've also I think really nailed is making a visually interesting game where the characters are all 
big and interesting and different from one another and they have these wild powers and it's colorful and it's got this cool 70s aesthetic with these all these you know throwback um tropes from from that era i'm really impressed with the visuals of it it's the guys that did warframe too so they're they really have a lot of experience supporting a game over a long period of time and um doing free to play like he kept reinforcing how how free to play it is and how like this isn't going to be a, a way to manipulate you into buying card packs or anything. It really is like all of the stuff you need to play will be given to you just by playing. And it's mostly cosmetic stuff. That's the monetization layer. So I, I know I'm I still have interested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It looks good. Um, Aaron, let's loop back to you and, and talk a little bit about Mario plus rabbits. Cause God, I love that game. Yeah. You guys talked about it a little bit uh, last week. I think um, I just, I am so not a strategy or real time anything RPG person at all. And this game just proves that Mario is a gateway drug to everything. (laughs) I love this game. And I, I, the whole time I'm like, that is so not for me. It's not for me. Nope. Mm -mm. And I love it. And it's teaching me to enjoy like a genre I've never liked in my life because it's Mario and he's wonderful. Uh, so I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm not good at it. I'm actually quite terrible because I have no idea what I'm doing, but <laughs> it's still, uh, I think, and it gets a little difficult fast. I thought at least for someone who has no experience, I, I didn't review the game because I don't ever play these games. So I, I don't know what's good, you know, <laughs> like, but, uh, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying it. And it's, uh, just another like great game in a row for the switch this summer. It is, man. I, I've been playing it so much. I played it on the plane uh, on both my flights to and from Seattle. It, it is, I think, so wonderful to be able to play it portably. I, I actually have yet to plug this game into my actual television and see it on a big screen. I'm, I kind of want to just because I think the game is really pretty. Um, I just haven't played it like that because I don't have to play it like that and because it's so convenient to play it the other way. And I'm, I've... I just love it. It keeps, it keeps throwing new surprises and new interesting twists. It hasn't worn out. It's welcome yet for me. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I don't know how far into the game I am, but many, many hours, the challenges keep ramping up, but it matches the challenge with keeping continuing to offer you new characters and new powers that make you feel OP. Like once you get princess peach, like her innate ability is, so it feels so OP, but then like immediately after that, there are new monsters and that have new powers that make that are really scary and really can kill you pretty quick. It man, it is so fun. And in all of the exploration stuff and all the little puzzles in between fights, I find to be charming and delightful. It's a great, great, great game. I think it might be one of my top five of the year, Christian. It is that good. I mean, it's going to wow. be hard. It's going to be hard to con- constitute a top five because what a year! But you know, it is it is making a strong case for inclusion in that list at the end of the year. I want to. I'm going to stick a pin in this. I'll put a marker down because I want to come back from. I don't want to derail from other PAX games that you've played, but I do want to come back to our conversation about you and Nintendo games and, and games on the Switch, games that you've played and games that you haven't. Especially now that you mentioned uh, end of the year stuff. So I'm, I'm making. I'm putting this on record on the show. So hopefully we can come back to it on a a slower playlist week. But I yeah jogged a memory i want to come back to that you're point. saying because i i i haven't i haven't uh given enough time to or any time to splatoon and, and those deserve to be in consideration for best of the year 
Um, that might be part of the conversation, but that's why it's favorite <laughs> right, of the enough. year, not not best of the year, right? Fair <laughs> enough. Fair um, there's so many there's so many PAX games that I could bring up. Um, there's a few here that I want to highlight, but like I said, if if you want to hear me talk about way more games, listen to newest latest best because it's daily and I have more room to do it there. But I'm I we are in a golden age of video games. There are so many incredible games at PAX, just wall to wall innovation. And you know, if if you only pay attention to the big AAA games and you think, oh my god, the Amazing Eternals is another uh, hero shooter, and how there's like 48 hero shooters, and all it is is shooters or RPG, you know, there's like, everything's the same. Go, man, take a look at the indie scene because things are vibrant and, and inventive and magical. Anyway, I'm now going to talk about my favorite game that I saw at PAX, which uh, in, you know, in contrast to what I just said is kind of a, uh, a, a known genre, but what shirt is Carboni wearing? Is that what it was? <laughs> no, and you don't ever want to look directly at those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a role-playing game um, from Klee. Is that how you pronounce that? K-L-E-I, Klee. The guys that did um, Don't Starve and uh, Mask of the Ninja and a lot of those games. Anyway, it's called Griftlands. And it it is so made for me. I cannot wait to get this game. It looks like it's going to be a 2018 game, but man, it looks so awesome. Is it for everything or because those other games came out kind of for everything, right? Or had uh, I'm assuming it'll eventually be for everything. I think they were only showing it on PC at the moment, but it is a big, robust, ambitious role-playing game done in an art style that immediately I think you either love or uh, love even more. <laughs> I can't imagine anyone <laughs> not loving it. It looks like an old episode of He-Man. It looks like it's like a hand-drawn, like Don Bluth style animation. Big characters on screen, dialogue with like big characters and they're animated in big exaggerated ways that look like old school Saturday morning cartoons. Dude, it's awesome looking. And better than that, the role playing elements, the combat is like the thing I've been asking for for years and years and years, which is please someone just rip off Grandia 2 and give me Grandia 2's combat system. I don't know that this is a direct ripoff, but it is certainly – uh, an homage to to that style. I brought it up to the developer, and they're like, "Yeah, oh, cool." A couple of people have been saying Grandia too. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah." Um, As so, they like pushed the Grandia two developers back behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if, if people haven't played that old Dreamcast game. It, the there was like this initiative bar with little icons of all the people that were in a turn based fight, and you could. You know, based on where the bar was, it indicated who was next up to attack, and you could keep doing these cool attacks that kept pushing your enemies back so that they never even got a chance to to hit you. And that was so much of the fun of like, you know, chaining cool attacks and then forcing your opponent to miss out on the opportunity to even return fire. Uh, so it has that. It has that like that that initiative bar that is sliding and always changing. Um, and it's all you know, it's all turn based, which I love in role playing games. And the thing that they keep reinforcing with Griftlands also is that it's not just a, you know, young boy destined to save the universe story. It's much more nuanced than that. And the story reacts and change based, based on your decisions. And he goes, <laughs> the developer I was talking to was like, 
yeah, I know everybody says that, but we're actually doing it. <laughs> that, uh, he said, um, you, you know, you make these decisions about who lives, who dies. You, you know, you're in a fight um, or you're the, – the scenario that I played, I actually played, was I came upon some farmers being attacked. The mercenaries that were attacking them were like, hey, if you help us kill these farmers, we'll give you a cut of our money. And the farmers were like, hey, no, we're just innocent farmers. Please save us. And of course, because I'm who I am, I saved the farmers and attacked the mercenaries. And at the end of the fight, you had the ability to either kill the mercenaries and eliminate them, the, the threat for the farmers forever, or let the mercenaries live. And I let the mercenaries live. And they said, okay, those mercenaries owe you a favor now sometime down the line. So at some point, you'll re-encounter them or you know, there's all these relationships that are developing and based on the decisions you make and the story is sort of crafted along those lines and uh, it it looked really cool man i'm so excited for this game it's called griftlands did they say uh kind of like length um any of that kind of stuff Uh, no but it looks it looks big there's like a big over map um that's also really beautiful to look at and i mean it looks like a full-on big ambitious role-playing game that's impressive. I feel like that's always kind of the limitation for this hand-drawn stuff is, you know, how much content can they put in the game versus something that's maybe reusing assets in a way that you don't notice as much or, you know, generating environments, like the kind of the tips and tricks that people have been able to pull out with um, polygonal games and texture maps and stuff like that, where if they are hand-drawing all of this stuff, that's mightily impressive. Yeah. Uh, a couple of the games I just want to hit on real fast, um, a game called Hot Lava which is what you might expect that old uh, idea when you were kids of the, you know, the ground is hot lava and you can't touch any of it. Well, that's still an idea kids do as a dad of a four and a half year old. That, <laughs> that game is very new and current. <laughs> that's awesome. And, and so this is a platformer where if you touch the hot lava, you die instantly. Um, and it's a first person game. So it's a, a, it's got, you know, you can swing on uh, bars, you know, like you, huh. and you can, it's kind of, it kind of reminded me of a story about my uncle in that sense. Um, but the, the theme, the, the, the story layer is so fun and so charming. You literally like wake up and you think that there's hot lava in your house and, and, uh, you go to the basement and like there's hot lava and you have to jump from like a couch to a table, to a chair, to the wall, you know, and then you go down to the basement and you realize your house and the entire neighborhood was built on a volcano and so like you have to – you know, you all of the stages are like the school and your house and, you know, the whatever. So it's all – you're jumping on all these objects that are very pedestrian and normal objects, but there's literally bubbling lava all around them. Uh, just really a clever idea done in a beautiful way and uh, a fun type of game that I like, which is, you know, those kind of uh, first-person navigation traversal games. When done well, there's nothing quite like them. When done like Metroid Prime 1, uh, well, I love that game. The platforming was on its strongest suit, right? <laughs> well, wasn't that the game that, that introduced the idea of like subtly moving your head down as you jump? Yeah, you could see, Metroid Prime you could 1? see your feet. Yeah. Or I thought they did it something well. Something like that. You, you could, yeah, it definitely. I thought it did it well, too. Um, I don't, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think – anyway, it doesn't matter. We don't need to dissect Metroid Prime 1 here and there. But I, I think it's it, – it maybe did it better than others had done it, but first-person platforming is still difficult to pull off. Yeah, this uh, Hot Lava kind of looks like the Mirror's Edge sequel we actually were wanting. So. <laughs> That's a great way to put it, yeah. 
and but I just love the sort of whimsical world building too. It, it's it's fun when a game has such a strong theme and embraces it to that level. I, I'm I, yeah, I was charmed by it. Um, also, another game that I saw that uh, impressed me was called Way of the Passive Fist, which is a sprite pixel game with big, large characters. It's basically Golden Axe. Uh, or Final Fight. Final Fight's probably a better comparison. I'm you know, listening now. You know how big those characters were? Well, like, make yeah. them even 25% bigger on your screen. So really big characters. It's set in this Mad Max-type, you know, dystopian world. But here's the twist, Christian. You know how those games, Final Fight or whatever, uh, or Teenage Ninja Turtles or Simpsons or X-Men. Are you trying to give me a bonus? You're saying all of the I'm hits. Try- yeah, go ahead. Al- always. I'm always trying to do that. <laughs> Um, they, especially when you were eight, (laughs) they can devolve into just button mashing. Yeah. Well, way of the passive fist is about a main character who never attacks. He only responds to the attacks of his enemies. So what you do in way of the passive fist is just brush aside all of the punches and kicks that are coming at you until your enemies pass out from exhaustion. So they don't have health meters at all. You don't care what their health is. All they have are stamina meters. And you literally are like doing these cool Kung Fu, uh, Taekwondo style, like using your momentum and just stepping aside and, you know, brushing their fists away until they pass out from exhaustion. And it basically turns into a sort of rhythm game where you're like timing your button presses and your, your parries. It's all parries, all your parries based on the attacks coming at you. That's my dream Aerosmith lineup. Yeah. I'll just all parries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that sounds awesome. Did they, is, is there a release date or console? Like this sounds right up my alley. Uh, there, I think it's coming to everything. I don't know. I maybe even switch. I'm not sure. I did an interview with the developer, so you can listen to that on Newest Latest Best. Um, but Dude, I'm it, your friend. You can just tell me. <laughs> I, um, but I think it's uh, 2018. Um, but they also built an arcade cabinet for it. They had an arcade cabinet oh. at PAX, and they like built it. They didn't – they were like, oh, people were like, what, what arcade cabinet did you convert that from to make it – like, no, we built it from scratch. We like cut the wood and built it. Uh, anyway, it's super cool. Can I uh, chime in here? I, I uh, went to Button Mash on a date night with my wife, and Button Mash is like one of those barcade type places here in LA. I love it. Uh, you've been before. You actually have to use quarters or tokens. It's not a pay a flat fee to play all you want. So like your lives matter. Yeah. And they have rotated in Spider Man the arcade game or Spider Man the video game. I think it's called the Sega Brawler Spider Man game that I loved as a kid. I was like, oh my! And it never came to home consoles. I was so excited to play it. I was doing my best, trying to impress my wife, you know, prove to her that I still had the skills. And I never knew this as a little kid. And man, I hate that game now. You're, it doesn't have a timer to clear a level. Your life just constantly ticks down. Because they want your quarters, Christian. Right, but I get it. Like, But it's also still cheap, like all of those brawlers are. So even if you're perfect at the game, you literally can't beat it on one quarter. They don't want is, you to. You, you understand that, right? I Yes, I understand that. But you've played turtles and punisher and x-men and all the games that do it man ooh, as an adult as a 36 year old playing that game i was like uh nope 
It made me so angry. I was like, why am I, am I in like lava? Am I in, am I in toxic? Is like venom sludge on me? What's happening? No, the game just literally is just showing you the middle finger. It's like, you give it a quarter and it's just like 24 cents, 23 cents, 22 cents. Yeah. Anyway, screw that it's game. It's important to teach kids about entropy, dude. <laughs> right at the end it's like now open your textbook to page 27 we're all slowly proceeding toward our utter mu- demise <laughs> and spend and, and spending too much money in the process give us another quarter <laughs> it's not a bummer like when you go to those barcade places and these games you loved you play them and you're like oh this is terrible <laughs> well yeah that's i mean that was the revelation i had back in the day when they had the uh, you know, the emulators for all those Capcom games and I, you know, we play all, you know, all of them and, and go, Oh, my memory as a kid was that if I just got better, I would be able to be better and I would not have to ask for more quarters from my parents. But that's not the reality at all. They were designed to not be finishable without putting, plunking more quarters into it. They just, created moments where you're going to lose your health it's just not no, no if ends or buts about it. it we're here to take your money yeah the real game is to see how far you can get on five dollars like not to see if you can beat bebop and rocksteady it's just here you go which is why i think the flat fee type of barcades they ruin the fun you need to be invested per quarter or whatever to to see is it worth your next quarter to advance the game or have you spent too much and it's time to move on it's it's a very real push pull that they often don't have when they come home yeah uh, i'll say one more game that I, I loved and then we'll we'll swing back around to aaron um tiny bubbles tiny bubbles uh it's coming out on mobile and on pc uh it is a match three actually match four in this case hello jeff i think i mobile match i lost you what was that but Okay, so you know how bubbles in games are like bubble bobble? They're like spheres and they pop and it's all pre-canned animation. Tiny Bubbles like mathematically simulates how bubbles work <laughs> in a very gorgeous, evocative, sort of zen-like way. This game is going to be a massive hit, I predict, because it is just pleasurable to pop the bubbles. Because the way they pop is they like 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 real soap bubbles do. They like morph and slide into one another and get bigger and smaller and uh, you know change shape and get oblong and weird and then pop in weird ways. It's delightful and there's uh, like over a hundred different puzzle levels that are all handcrafted. Basically, the idea is that you inject a color into a bubble and that. If that colored bubble is touching three other of the same colored bubbles, they pop, and your goal is to pop all the bubbles. But you also have stuff like uh, specific color cartridges that you have queued up, so you have to do them in a certain order. Or you have uh, some green bubbles and some blue bubbles, and you have to inject yellow in the blue to create green so that it pops. You know, it sounds silly and free or a premium download did they say no i don't know yet but it it is uh i'm telling you it was one of the pax 10 deservedly so if you see this thing in action in motion you will understand why it's going to be massive and i'm probably going to spend hours playing it just for like the visceral feeling of 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 popping bubbles it feels good it feels good huh yeah uh aaron Redout, Redout, Readout. What is yeah, it? Yeah, Redout. It's so you know how you're always saying you're basically just waiting for someone to make the next burnout. Um, I'm the same, except for I want Wipeout. Like I love the Wipeout game so much, and I, you know it's the studio has been disbanded basically, so we're just getting remakes of uh, the same 
PSP and Vita games over and over. Um, I think June was that when that Omega collection came out. Um, yeah, which was cool. It's great. I'd already played it all of it like twice, you know, so right, like, I right. played them on PSP and then I played them when they were remastered on PS3. And then I'm like, well, I, I don't really need to play this again. Um, that's like me and res, except that then I did play it again. <laughs> so I'm always on the lookout for like an AG racing game because I just think the wipeout games are so wonderful. They're such a great part of my like college experience. And, um, I love the design of them and everything aesthetics. The music is all great. Uh, unfortunately, red out is not the answer to my prayers. Um, Oh no! It's, That's yeah. Bad. It's just I don't know what it is. I don't know what that magic is because I think there's so many studios trying to recapture it, and I don't really think any of them are are quite doing it. Um, there is that uh, that game on uh, Switch called Fast RMX. It's like Fast Remix, I guess, and that, that, that is decent. It's a it's definitely like a you know smaller uh, budget game, but um, that has like that nice sense of speed but it doesn't have weapons. And I don't know, Red Out just feels like a, f- a facsimile to me. Um, it's kind of a bummer. I was excited to try it. Um, I was very curious about that because I know that, that actually supports VR, that's right. which I thought... Yeah, I can't imagine, though. Cool like, gosh, talk about Vomit Train. <laughs> so what is it about Wipeout that you love? Is it it's the sense of speed? Is that really it? I, yeah, I think it's the tracks, too, because I, I was so into like Wipeout XL that I could tell you when it was going to slow down on a turn and I would just lean into it and know exactly like, Oh, it's going to slow down here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I just, I, I, I think it's just the, the total package of the aesthetics, the music. And then it was actually really well designed too with the, the weapon versus uh, turbo, you know, it's like you could use your turbo, but then it would deplete your shield, that kind of thing. Um, just like super smart, but I don't know. It seems like it's, it's probably gone. It's funny. There are those franchises that people talk about with such reverence and Wipeout is one of them where, where the people who love it, like love it. And I've just never, ne- I mean, I'm not a raising guy anyway, really, but uh, I've never understood the the love for Wipeout. I mean, I guess, I guess I get the, the speed and the sort of design of it is, is cool. Um, but man, people, you know, there's certain, there's those franchises that I'm always on the outside looking in on where people are just like, Oh, I love, I love and I've never never quite gotten that one. Yeah, I would I would kill for uh like Wipeout XL HD remake, but apparently it's just I don't know why it's never going to happen and I, I No, if you're really willing to kill for it, you can make it happen. <laughs> I, I can tell you the person's office to drive to like I mean how far are we going to take this Aaron? Like what's the play here? I, I we could make Soderbergh could turn it into a movie after the fact like we'd both be dead or in jail, but the game would definitely come out, you know? <laughs> Talk about a wipeout. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Well, like I said, there's there's dozens other um, packs games that I've played. I maybe maybe I'll talk about some next week, and and you can certainly listen to newest latest best to hear me talk about lots more. Because and nothing comes out between now and next week's show that I, we'll need to talk I about. Know. God <laughs> dang it! <laughs> Destiny, uh, Divinity Original Sin two, Divinity Original Sin. By the way, was my game of the year the year it came out. So like, its sequel is coming out. What a year. Ah, oh, craziness. Um, I feel bad. What do you guys want to do? I feel bad going VR or tabletop time because I'm the only one that has stuff to talk about. Let's just do some quick questions. But first, let's thank our second sponsor, guys. Gamefly. Oh, Christian, I know you love the Gamefly. Gamefly is the way for you to save money and play more games. 
That's something we all want to do. If you're listening to this, all we've been talking about, the only thing we've been talking about this whole episode is how do we play all these great games? Well, Gamefly lets you do that and save money because you can buy games less expensive and better yet, rent games less expensive. You pick your favorite games. They get mailed directly to your door. They have over 9,000 titles to choose from. And that lets you try the games before you buy them forever. If you want a game forever, you can try a game before you buy it. Or just play a game to completion and send it back and get the next one. And make it this ever-rotating, wonderful fountain of amazing play experiences. You never have to worry about late fees. And you can cancel any time. And they've got movie rentals now, too. So that's cool. Christian, you use Gamefly, right? I spend my real hard-earned money on Gamefly. I have for years. And it is literally the thing that gets me through being able to do this podcast most weeks because I I couldn't. I couldn't otherwise. I, I simply couldn't not and be able I to play it. I take it out of you. And, it, and your only respite is your Gamefly subscription, right? Well, that, that's that's a different conversation for our other podcast called Jeff Takes It Out of Me, which is debuting in October. I'm really excited. That's kind of like Operation, uh, if you've played that board game. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. Um, guess what, guys? You don't have to use your hard-earned money, at least not to start. We can give you a 30-day premium free trial that allows you to check out two games at once and or movies. Two games or movies at once. All you got to do is go to Gamefly.com slash DLC2. Don't forget the two at the end. Uh, Gamefly is G-A-M efly.com slash dlc2 try it out for 30 days see if it's for you You, it's free because you listen to the show so just give it a shot gamefly.com slash dlc2 gets you 30 days free hey why don't you send us some quick questions and have your question read on the show and answered by three people that will attempt to answer it also you will get out of that deal a free game were supplied uh, our friend Rich Grisham, who was a guest on the show last week, gave us a whole new batch of Out of the Park Baseball 18 codes for Steam. So we're giving those away to everybody that submits a quick question that we use. How cool is that? So let's start. Quick question. This one comes from Thomas Globig, who says, uh, during our Lost Legacy spoiler cast... Christian mentioned that he plays on easy to keep the consistency of combat in line with how the rest of the game plays. So his quick question is, how would you change the adventure portion of a game like Uncharted on the crushing uh, difficulty to align with the combat brutality? So how do you, you know, if you up the difficulty on one sense, not just make the combat harder, make the whole game harder. He says maybe a stamina meter for climbing, more unpredictable environments, maybe... It even still would be uh, maybe would it even still even would it even still be uncharted if the climbing weren't so fluid and simple? So, Aaron, what do you think about that? Is there a way? Would you even want that to be able to have a sliding difficulty scale on the tra- traversal parts of a game like Uncharted? Uh, I mean, I think Zelda did it pretty well, except for that it was actually a, like the stamina meter uh, is could be really, really frustrating, you know? So I don't know if that's necessarily something like once you get it upgraded, you're fine and it's totally fine. But, um, I don't know. Uncharted, the, the platforming is, it's always been that way. Um, I do think it's a little simplistic. Like I feel like even rise of the tomb Raider does it slightly better just with having like, uh, having you have to use your pickaxe a little bit more. 
um, which I think Uncharted introduced as well in the last two. But um, yeah, I mean, a, a stamina meter, it would just have to be balanced, right? But I, I could definitely see wanting to have some more challenge to that platform. Before I go to Christian, do you, do you think that in the wake of Zelda Breath of the Wild that you, we will see more of that in these kinds of games. You think that that it sort of demands that kind of thing now, or do you, or do you think that still having you know the yellow painted <laughs> ledge that you can right. jump to is is still going to work? I mean, yeah, I think it's still going to work for most people. I mean, the fact is is that like you could climb anything in Zelda, and I just don't think that most other studios can do that. You know, right. yeah. <laughs> Christian, what do you think about this? This was directly to your point about you know keeping a sort of narrative consistency. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I think this game, you know, with climbing or adventuring on a harder, being harder is a different game than what Uncharted is. It's not meant to be a taxing and or a puzzle game or a brutal. It's not Super Meat Boy, right? Like that's not what Uncharted is and that's not how the game is presenting itself. So I think you could definitely have that game. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about, I think that would be the answer would maybe be whatever Meat Boy Forever is doing, right? Like how do they ratchet up the difficulty each time you play? Does it, you move faster? Does it introduce more perils along the way so that uh, you need to use more of your different techniques to do something. Whereas like on easy, it's a straight climb. Um, but on hard, maybe there's a chasm that requires you to climb. Uh, like Aaron mentioned, jump across, use your pickaxe. Like part of the map is like the world is missing. And then you, from that pickaxe, you need to jump, throw your grapple to swing to the next thing to climb. And it kind of removes parts that require precision timing in order to pull off. Um, so I think that's kind of the way you would do it is that you would make it the way any of those demanding platformers are made requiring precision timing and movements and you'd watch speedrunners do that stuff. But I, I don't think that's what Uncharted is. So I don't know if they'll ever go that route, but I think it's an interesting question. Like how, cause that's kind of true for all games. Typically when you make it more difficult, what you're doing is either dumbing down the AI, giving you more health or them more health. And it's always combat encounters. And rarely do you see it, you know, adjusting any other part of the game than just, more or less bullets to kill you or to kill other people. Yeah, I think that's because the way that Uncharted and most games like it approach those sequences is that they are they're they're much more akin to being puzzles. And they're not particularly difficult puzzles, but they're puzzles in the sense of where do you go? Not how do you do it, not uh is it are you going to pull it off? Are you going to have the dexterity to do it, which is really what's being asked of you in the combat sequences is your dexterity is your, uh, you know, your ability to play this game high enough to survive and kill all the enemies. What's being asked of you in the climbing sections is, can you figure out where to go next? And once you have, they're not questioning your ability to accomplish it, you know, but I think it would be, it would make for a really interesting game to add that in to, 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 I mean, even Zelda isn't necessarily asking you, like, are you able to do it? I mean, I guess maybe so in the sense of, did you stack the, enough buffs or, you know, choose the correct pathing to be able to get to that next ledge before your stamina meter runs out? Maybe you can interpret it that way, but I think it would be interesting to come up with a, a style of gameplay here that actually 
I mean, I guess that's a platformer, right? I guess what we're talking about is a platformer. What I'm thinking about now is a game like Ori, right? And on easy, you have a double jump and an air dash or something like that. And on hard, you don't. So on hard, you need to do the precise wall jumps to escape the volcano that's erupting and the grapple and the leash and the swing and all that stuff. Whereas on easy, you could double jump if you miss a grapple and you'll be okay and air dash to a ledge if you miss the grapple point or something like that. But I think it, it yeah, it, it becomes a precision platformer versus a cinematic uh, romp through a beautiful jungle. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess you could just say on a hard in Uncharted, all of the yellow stripes go away and it just looks like, it just looks like beautiful rock geometry and you have to figure out where the hell to jump to. And the, and the uh, the little indicator when you lean out that it says, okay, I can safely make it, turns off. So you have to just constantly potentially leap to your death. <laughs> that could They could do it that way. <laughs> Sounds fun. Real fun. <laughs> it does sound fun. Uh, but I like that, you know, in Uncharted when you're swinging on a rope, up, you know, 400 feet above a chasm and you can leap to a, uh, a tiny handhold. Your character like leans out and goes, yeah, I know I can make this. <laughs> I got this. Um, anyway, I thought that was a great question. Um, this one actually I supplied because guys, we need more quick questions. So please send quick questions to us. Um, but it is a question that I, uh, that occurred to me recently. Is there a copy of out of the park baseball? You could have just asked rich. You don't need to supply your own question. The rules are rules, Christian. (laughs) Uh, is there quick question? Is there an overlooked game that no one plays or talks about that you wish you could make more people love? Aaron, do you have like a, a, a loved game that nobody talks about or that you feel like doesn't get enough love? I don't know if, if, if it's overlooked, but one of my favorite games of the last couple of years was um, Axiom Verge, which is like oh. a Metroidvania. Um, absolutely Maybe one guy, it. right? One guy. Yeah, it's crazy. And the music is so good. He did the music too. I bought the vinyl soundtrack of it <laughs> because I just loved it. Um, it, it, it was the Metroid game that Nintendo wasn't making. And it's it's so great. It's so like perfectly paced like that. Uh, but it also is doing its own thing. It kind of has its own take on everything. Um, but if I think it's coming to Switch uh, soon or or sometime this year or early next year. Um, so if, if anyone uh, missed out on it, it's, it's super worth checking out. Axiom Verge. What a great answer. Christian, did you ever play that? Uh, not all of it. Some of it. It, it uh, got hard and my attention span went, went elsewhere. Okay. Um, what, what is your answer to this question? There are so many. Uh, <laughs> there, there are there are so many. Swapper is one, uh, which is great and fantastic, and more people should play. But Swapper. Thing- that was that one where you're like a, uh, on an alien world, and you can swap your body into other positions, right? Yeah, it's an indie platformer. Great at- atmospheric sound and beautiful sense of style as well. And you're kind of doing puzzles as you explore Mars or the Moon or wherever you are. Um, I played it on Vita. It was awesome. The game that I keep talking about and I want to keep talking about, and it's not that no one talks about it, but more people should talk about it, it's Forza Horizon 3. It's so good. And the Hot Wheels expansion that's out this year is, it's great. It's, oh, just play it. Every Blizzard Mountain was great. It is, every piece of content that has come out for that game has just been phenomenal. And everybody talks about Forza Horizon, like Forza the main, oh, Forza 7, Xbox, Power of Xbox One X. After what Playground Games has done with Horizon, I just don't know how you care about Forza or Gran Turismo anymore. Like, I'm still going to buy and play those games, don't get me wrong, but I'll just be like, I wish this was another Horizon game. It's They're phenomenal. Uh, top to bottom, just phenomenal games. Uh, granted, I know nothing about 
racing games really, and I'm not a car guy, so I'm least I'm least in the target audience of anybody, I guess. But I I was at PAX and I was walking around and I saw Forza Seven at the Microsoft booth, and right next door to it was Gran Turismo at the PlayStation booth. And other than like I've only got one of these two consoles, what possible reason would you have of choosing one of those over the other? Like I don't I don't understand any differentiators between or Project Cars 2 or, you know, any of the other numerous just like beautiful car racing games. They're all equally gorgeous. They all model amazing car. Like what what is the differentiator there? Illuminate me. I don't know enough about Turismo Sport or Forza 7 or what they're doing there to fully answer that question because neither one is out yet and I haven't played a significant amount of either game. But going back historically, the big difference was Forza's tire modeling and their physics handling was all kind of tied to tires and how it interacted with the surface and the way that the car's roll would be more realistic as a car went into a turn based on what the shocks and the suspension of the car are doing versus Gran Turismo, which had, I forget what type of physics engine they were using, but like kind of baked in thing, whereas Forza was actually giving you real feedback. So as you're driving around Laguna Seca or whatever raceway, right, you're feeling the ups and downs and the rolls and you could actually feel um, hitting the apex of a turn and the way that a Mustang would feel different than a Corvette or whatever based on actual factors of the car and not just this is an S rank or an A rank car. And I'm not sure kind of how that's evolved going forward. I remember like one of the big crap talking moments, I think it was Gran Turismo. They said like, yeah, we don't do, um, you know, you can't have the modeling that we have like accurate racing physics and have cars leave the track and flip because it just ruins the modeling. And then like Forza's trailer came out and it showed a car go airborne and flip. <laughs> and they were like, game on. Um, so it's kind of been that it's how the car feels and moves and reacts in the world. And then combined with the best, most realistic version of tracks and actual real world tracks and locations, and then mods that you're able to do and tinker with, you know, really doing the deep dive of having all of the parts if you're into aftermarket tweaking of your car and how that changes your race line and stuff like that. Can I just say real quick, I, I wanted to uh, load up Forza Horizon 3 to, you know, kind of see what my 4K HDR TV could do. And uh, I hadn't played it in six months or something. And I loaded up and it made me watch like a two minute ad for Forza 7. And then the I, I could not figure out just how to get to a race and i was just like forget i'll do gears four so <laughs> it's, uh, it's awful it is a shame and you can't skip that thing but it's like the the long like movie theater trailer for forza seven and then after you skip it or after it ends it lands you at a a, a splash page saying like pre-order now that is just i'm glad you mentioned that aaron i tweeted out when they did it when it first happened that's disgusting like i get like it's one thing if it's dlc for the game i own or whatever or even like put it on a billboard in the world like i i get the world we live in now with that kind of stuff but when i paid full price for a retail copy of a game and now when i start it up it runs an a, a, like a huge ad that's not easily skippable for another full product price game that that is disgusting yeah yeah that's yeah i mean it completely turned me off i was just like i eh, forget it so <laughs> i you know it's funny the gears of, of war 4 thing with the high resolution pack i i turned on my xbox one for the first time in a while and uh it was like no room to download the update to gears of war 4 and i was like oh really i, I have like an external drive 
plugged in that has crazy amounts of room on it. Why would it? It's like, oh, it's because it's 78 gigs of just uh, texture packs to download <laughs> to get ready for that X coming out. I was like, oh, you can just not do that for a while. <laughs> I don't need to spend time downloading 78 gigs of Gears of War 4. Thank you. The future. <laughs> yeah, the future. I just like how it didn't even ask me. It's like, we're just going to download these high-res packs for you. No, Don't worry about it. 78 gigs. Don't worry about it. Just let it go in the background. Um, all right. So the whole reason I even asked this question is so I could bring up the game and that we've been talking for a while. Maybe you don't remember the question. The question was an overlooked game that nobody talks about. I wouldn't want people to talk about. I just want people to talk about Dino Frontier more. I love that game so much. It has so much heart. It is so cute and fun and wonderful and works just the way you'd want it to. Uh, I was talking to John Drake about this. He, he, one of the people that works at Sony, uh, procuring titles for PlayStation VR. And I was just saying, I love this game. He's like, I know, I know, I know. And I was like, I just want more people to play it. I just want more people to understand why Dino Frontier is so special. Because it's one of those games that's not going to be flashy. Nobody's going to look at it and go, oh, I got to have that. It doesn't, you know, it, it's just not one of those games that I think shows off well in a, in a GIF or a, you know, a, a, an ad on the store. But it is so great. So I hope. Anybody that owns a PlayStation VR gives Dino Frontier a chance because it is wonderful. I have that game, so I I'm definitely will try to check it out. But I wanted to ask you, how do you reconcile having to unplug your PSVR and plug it back in every time when you're switching back? Because it won't support 4K if it's plugged in through the processor unit. It supports 4K, but not HDR. Oh, is that right? Oh, that's that's not so bad. I I can handle that. I'm an (laughs) idiot who didn't buy an HDR TV, so it doesn't even affect me. Ah, okay. Because I'm like, man, that's going to make me not play PSVR if I have to work. (laughs) Yeah, people have created their own splitters. (laughs) You know, and it's like, you want to keep short lines because, you know, even HDMI, if it's too long, you can lose, you know, the signal's not as crisp. But yeah, people have splitters that are taped onto their breakout box for the PSVR so that they don't need to do it. But it's a shame that, like, at the exact same time, they announced the HDR patch for OG PS4s and then, you know, are touting the PS4 Pro. They come out with this peripheral that doesn't pass through, arguably, like, the best thing to graphics since HD. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. All right, quick question. Matthew Harrison uh, asks, are there any genres of games that you think could be viable as an eSport if they could just figure out how to broadcast them? Um, Aaron? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, everything uh, but, is kind of turning into an eSport, so it's, it's a smaller and smaller pool of stuff that hasn't already done that. But So I'm going to go with bubble-popping games. Yeah, there you go. Tiny <laughs> Bubbles, the new eSport. Get ready. Uh, Christian, do you, have a, do you have a theory on this one? I mean, I'm going to give away my million-dollar idea because someone's probably already working on it. But I would argue that most games would be a more viable eSport if they would broadcast them better. Like, I love Overwatch, and I watch some of the, you know, whatever they're called, um, national tournaments or qualifiers for it. And for a game that is positioned to be an eSport with funded teams, it blows my mind that there's not – that it doesn't support a – uh, football field view, right? Like when I'm watching football or baseball, I'm not, the camera's not just on the left fielder 
for the whole game. And then they have to switch over to the center fielder or the pitcher when the pitcher's pitching. Like, I can see everything. And it blows my mind that none of these shooters have, you know, um, a MOBA-type map where you can watch everything from the sky and the camera can be dynamic and kind of move around as the payload pushes toward the base and it kind of follows it. And then when someone does something cool or, like, the ultimate's powered, you know, you you go into uh, Reinhardt or whatever and you look see that view. Or better yet, you have the the MOBA style map, and then down smaller they have the picture in picture of everybody's specific thing. Like it just it blows my mind that none of the shooters have that aerial style map that allows you to watch the the push and pull because so much of of Overwatch is that, especially like high level competitive Overwatch is is the push toward where you're going and then setting up your perimeter or getting your offensive players out in front getting your sniper set up as your tank is kind of pushing the payload forward and people get all spread out and people have become better announcers explaining it but it's not super exciting to watch and they're like oh yeah and Widowmaker is able to get with the support from you know McCree they push over Widowmaker comes up to the top perch and she's primed and ready to go for sniping and then you're just watching Widowmaker sit there with no one in her field of view at the time, like cool. And then bouncing around from character to character becomes uh, cumbersome to kind of follow where you are on the map. Anyway, that's, I just, I can't, yeah, I can't like, believe it. Uh, like watching the, the point of view of a wide receiver on every play. It's like, well, some plays it's really exciting, but other plays they're just running down the field and then turning around and running back. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, who Harrison looks tired. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I'm I'm sure you're not the first person to think of that. So I, I there's got to be a reason why it hasn't already happened. If it's just a, I don't know. It's, I, I wonder if the the animation externally looks too primitive or you know because they didn't render. But no, but they have third person because I see them in my field of view when someone runs by. Right, but it doesn't look great. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe somebody smarter than us can answer that question. Uh, I would say, though, to answer this question about a viable esport, it's going to be predictable what I say, but it's VR. Uh, when I think it's going to be a sea change of esports when VR games, not if, but when VR games sort of take over the mainstream and become uh, the more popular way to play something, because it's going to make VR. Uh, it's going to make esports much more dynamic and interesting to watch. I mean, right now you get a little picture-in-picture picture of the player's face staring blankly at a screen. That's fine, but when you see them actually physically doing the thing, and the, I mean, we talk about all these trick shots and stuff like in Super Hot, but there's going to be a level of that where the physicality actually informs the skill of the player. That is going to be. I think a game changer for esports and the way that they're going to uh, broadcast it and figure out how to broadcast it. I mean, we've already seen mixed reality stuff where you can show the the person standing in the environment using green screen and stuff. So when they're playing, you see their avatars replaced by their actual physical. F- I think that's all going to be so cool to watch and fun. Somebody's going to figure that out. The game that does it best is going to work, and it's all going to come together and and just change everything, in my opinion. Dino Frontier, going pro. Dino Frontier, baby. Drop those dinos. <laughs> uh, thanks for the questions again. Please send them into dlcfeedback at gmail.com or uh, post them on the sticky thread in our subreddit, 5x5dlc.reddit.com, and you'll get a copy of Out of the Park Baseball 18. 
Hey, I do need to thank our final sponsor, Brooklinen. Oh, I think people undervalue how wonderful their sheets are. Perhaps the people that listen to this show, but let that happen no more because Brooklinen is here to make your sleep more comfortable, you're waking up more lovely, and you're just uh, daytime napping. Really, daytime napping is what we need to focus on. Lay down on some Brooklinen sheets and have a daytime nap and just luxuriate. Uh, Brooklinen was founded in 2014 by a husband and wife team, Vicky and Rich Fullup, and uh, now they're full up on love. <laughs> um, they had the philosophy that people deserve simple, beautiful home essentials Without the luxury price, this is luxury bedding, sheets, uh, pillowcases, duvet covers that are not priced like luxury. They are high quality but underpriced. You have to try them to understand what I'm talking about. They have over 12,000 five-star reviews. They are the fastest-growing bedding brand in the world. People love them. They have tons of different colors and patterns that you can mix and match to create a great look. And really, honestly, you want to just have great sheets. If you If you sleep on scratchy garbage sheets, what's the point? I love sleep too much. I get too little of it to waste my time on crappy sheets. So brooklinen.com, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. You have a promo code that is a DLC that gets you $20 off and free shipping. So you get free shipping and 20 bucks off by using the promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. And they are so confident you're going to love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee. So sleep on them for two months before you decide. And on top of that, you get a lifetime warranty on all their sheets and comforters. There's no reason not to give these a shot. Try it. Brooklinen.com. Go to uh, brooklinen.com. Select the sheets and, and stuff you want. And then use the promo code DLC. $20 off and free shipping. Brooklinen. Give it a trance. Give it a shot. Check it out. Nothing to lose. All right, guys, uh, let's wrap the show up now. Uh, we have our parting gift coming up right after this, so stay tuned for that. But Aaron Morales, thank you so much for being here, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. It's such a pleasure. It's like the highlight of my quarter or however often I do it a year. So. Oh, well, we got to get you on more often. We love having you as a guest. You're great. Um, no, but it needs to be sparse enough that it's still a highlight. Because like right. after whatever episode we're on, like it's like, oh, it's Monday for me. So I want to, you know. Christian barely gets through. Um, uh, Aaron, tell people where they can keep up with you and your work online. Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Airline M, or you can just go to EW.com slash gaming, and you can see all the stuff I'm working on. Um, and also, uh, I would want to recommend if uh, people still read magazines, if, if they if they do, <laughs> we uh, we just relaunched the uh, Muscleless section of Entertainment Weekly, and it's really cool. I love it. It's very exciting. It's expanded. So, for instance, uh, last issue I included uh, Uncharted: The Lost Legacy, so wrote about it, and then I did like a little sidebar ranking all the Uncharted games. Um, so it's more fun. It's, it's, it's much more fun. It used to just be like, here's 10 things we like, but now it's like, there's all kinds of, uh, related content to it. And then I expand on that kind of thing online. So I would love for people to check it out. Fantastic. Uh, Christian, how about you? What do you got going on? 
Uh, Cheapy D from Cheap Ass Gamer and I, we play PUBG on Thursday mornings. We missed this past week because I was on the road, but we should be back this week. It's at 8 a.m. Pacific, and we're not good. I think we had a couple of top 10 finishes the last time we played. We, we stream on his Twitch channel, which is Cheap Ass Gamer, so you can find those there. It's fun. Oh, man, if you want to see anxious people play PUBG badly, we are your stream of choice. You know, forget... Does he know that you're a, a vegetarian who who wouldn't even want a chicken dinner? Yeah, well, I told him that like I'd I'd give it to someone like you know someone in need. So ah, well, there doesn't seem to be any danger of that though, right? Uh, right? No, no, no. They're they're still in need. They're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My chicken dinner charity uh, outreach program is going very poorly so far. Um, but watching two people run around and going, oh crap, oh crap, I bogey, oh crap, is going really well. We're getting oh, really gee. good at it. We're getting oh, really good gee. at well, it. But you got the terminology down. That's the first step. Well, actually, half the time we forget to say it, and then we'll be like, oh, we didn't even say bogey, and we get real bummed. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're pretty fun. And uh, and then I do another geeky podcast called At Least Twenty More Minutes. It's just a little a little thing, and um, it's at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. But if you want to give it a shot, last week's show and this week's show are just public. Anyone can go and check it out and download it. And I'm encouraging people to spend their disposable income instead on Hurricane Harvey relief efforts or any other charity that you value. Uh, let's put some good into the world. And let's see. Oh, I'm going to be in San Diego. The end of the month is kind of my next out of town LA, sh- uh, out of LA shows. I'm doing a USO show, which I don't know if it's open to the public, but that's Thursday the 28th uh, down in San Diego for troops. And I'm not sure if other people, but it's, it's uh, whatever. I'll tweet out specific links when I have information if I can share if, if it's open to the public. But then that weekend, the 29th and 30th, I'm featuring for Ryan Sickler at the La Jolla comedy store it'd be two shows friday two shows saturday and they will be awesome so be there for that very very cool man um you've heard me talk about newest latest best a few times already on the show i'm pretty proud of of this last week and the week coming up with all the great packs coverage that i did at the show so give it a shot i think you might like it there's a lot of dlc listeners that i haven't given it a shot yet uh, it's quick, it's daily, and, and it keeps you up to date with all the video game goodness. So try that. Newest, latest, best. You can find it on iTunes and Google Play, or you can go to anchor.fm slash NLB. And I also have a Slash Filmcast. This is a big episode this week for the Slash Filmcast. It comes out, I think, tonight or tomorrow. Uh, it is the conclusion, the dramatic conclusion to our summer movie rager. I think it is the 11th annual summer movie wager that we've done. You guys uh, all did bad, didn't you, Dick? Don't spoil we it. We did but. horribly. <laughs> uh, but it is fun. It is a very fun episode. Uh, a lot of smack talking. Um, so you don't want to miss that. Slashfilmcast.com. And um, we have concerns. We just did a bunch of live shows uh, that went really, really well. Those live shows will start coming out this week as well. So you can check those out. Uh, the PAX live shows of We Have Concerns at wehaveconcerns.com. All right, guys. Uh, that is it. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is parting gift. Special must list parting gift from Aaron. <laughs> do you have oh, a yeah. This, one, this one's so on brand. Oh, I good. am super into my cast iron grill pan that I just got. <laughs> <laughs> um, like living in New York, I don't have the opportunity to cook out really ever so i decided like it's summer i am going to put grill marks on things and now anything that can be grilled is grilled and i love it nice what have you been grilling 
Oh, everything. What haven't I been? <laughs> um, just like anything from like making like non pizza and like grilling pineapple to do like prosciutto and pineapple, that kind of thing. Nice. Or just, you know, like burgers, steaks, whatever, yeah. pork chops, everything. It's all great. Love it. Cleanup's the worst. We've but. been really getting into um, um, various things that you put on corn, uh, you know, corn on the cob that you grill and then you put like uh, crazy cheeses and spices and stuff on the corn. Oh, man, I love that. Do you know what sounds gross but is good? You do like a basic type of uh, lemon vinaigrette, and then you do corn, and you do mayonnaise, which is the sounding gross part. No, no, no. I'll... I'm into it. Yeah, dig it. Okay, good. And then a little basic lemon vinaigrette, and then you can top that with some queso fresco. Mm. Queso fresco. Delicious. Oh, so good. Um, Christian, parting gift? One, I should say, uh, I think we're going to do a DLC Destiny 2 clan. Oh that yeah, will... we should have said that like way earlier. But yeah, I know. We'll, say it we'll next tweet week it out. Matters. I got to set it up, and it'll be we'll be very active in it for the first week, and then Jeff and I will be like moths to a flame and move on to the next game. But <laughs> yeah, but everybody else will stay, and it'll be an awesome community of cool people. Yes, that is the plan. I plan to set it up either today or tomorrow to get it ready for the game. And so I should mention that Destiny Two DLC clan. Look for Jeff and I's uh, Twitter. PS Four on ps4 correct um my parting gift i watched it on the plane well one i watched the mummy i think you said you liked it I that did. movie's bad i liked it it has pro you, it's fine for like sorry i should not say it's bad i did not like it much at all but i also watched triple x the return of xander cage so good whoa <laughs> you just lost all your credibility dude no, it's so dumb in all the right ways, uh-huh. and it leans into its source material, which is the Triple X movies, in all the right ways, which are such a product of their era. And the fact that they even made another one of these, and they like stuck to the guns of Vin Diesel being proud of his X Games stunts more so than like being a special operative uh, secret agent, it's so fun. It's dumb, but so, so fun. And the perfect plane movie, but really, really fun. I think I'm going to buy it on uh, Blu-ray. Are you <laughs> I really? really yeah, I like it. It's so dumb. God. It's so the opening twenty minutes is so it's so great and it's so it's so triple X and so Vin Diesel. It is they nail it. in that first twenty minutes. Uh, I won't say what he does or like the first time you see Vin back in action. I was just like, oh yeah, I'm sold. This is amazing. <laughs> All right, uh, here's a listener uh, uh, presented parting gift. This comes from Joey from Colorado. He sends it to DLC feedback at gmail.com. He said, Hey guys, I was listening to Jeff espouse his love for a good heist story during a recent slash filmcast episode, and I'm fully on board with him. To that end, I want to offer up a book recommendation as a parting gift. The book is Pirate Latitudes by the late Michael Crichton. The book came out in 2009, a year after his passing, and can be basically summed up as Ocean's Eleven, but with pirates. It fully delivers on the premise and has a great care for detail that Crichton was known for. If you like heists, pirates, or Michael Crichton, then I highly recommend checking it out. Thanks for all the work you guys do each week. Thanks, Joey. Pirate Latitudes. I actually have read that. Um, it was Ocean's re- Eleven with Pirates. Isn't that just called Seven Seas? hey Pirate joke. Um, Nailed it. Yeah. Uh, I read this. Uh, actually, Dan Trachtenberg, friend of the show, Dan Trachtenberg, uh, wouldn't shut up about this. And and, and uh, I read it because of his effusive recommendation. And I, I didn't – Love it, but I did like it. It's it's uh it's clever and it's fun and it's a very quick read. Pirate Latitudes by Michael Crichton. Um, my parting gift is a podcast that I have discovered and I really really like. It's called Waking Up with Sam Harris, based on the book 
Waking Up with Sam Harris. Sam Harris is a notable um, secular moralist uh, who talks about uh, being a moral good person uh, in the absence of needing religion to tell you how. And I really respect that and like it. And he is a very intelligent guy, a very even-handed, smart guy who has very smart people on his show. And they talk about all kinds of things, not just, um, you know, not just morality and, and just, a, just a wide range of things. And he's always really fascinated by the, his guests and digs deep and has great interviews with them. Uh, I highly recommend this podcast. It's called Waking Up with Sam Harris. All right, guys. That's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks to Aaron Morales and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in our chat room for hanging out in real time and making the show better, spending their Labor Day with us. We appreciate it, guys. Uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those bumpers. And thanks to all of you for listening. We really do appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.